Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. His name is Jim Garrison Keeler, and I came across a really a brilliant document that he put together on Twitter and downloaded it. And the title of the document, the working title, is just the Sirhan Sirhan timeline. And Sirhan Sirhan is the alleged assassin of Robert F. Kennedy in 1968 at the Ambassador Hotel. And I say alleged because the real shot that murdered or ended the life of Robert F. Kennedy came from behind. Actually, uh, Noguchi, who was the medical examiner, said it was a shot within a like a foot from the back of his, his head. And, and Sirhan was nowhere close to that. He was obviously seen by tens of people in front of RFK with a gun shooting randomly. And there were more shots. And I've done interviews, and I suggest people go back and listen to those on two excellent books. I highly recommend those and the authors. And one is A Lie Too Big to Fail, The Real History of the Assassination of Robert F. Kennedy by Lisa Peace. And then also Tim Tate, who I've talked about on num a number of subjects, but we covered The Assassination of Robert F. Kennedy, Crime, Conspiracy, and Cover-Up, A New Investigation. And both of those are very well-read, popular books on the subject. Uh, I think justly popular. They're excellent books and very uh, detailed. But uh, there's information in this Sirhan Sirhan timeline. I like the angle that Jim took on this is from his perspective alone and not so much like what, who was this strange character, Sirhan Sirhan? I believe he's a strange character and what are, are his connections? And I think he asks those uh, questions right at the intro, intro to the document, which is a public source document. It's available for review. And I suggest people are interested in this topic, check it out. But uh, I'm delighted to have him on the show. So Jim Garrison Keeler, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. Cool, man. So for people who may not know of you on social media or what you write or what you research, maybe you can just talk a little bit about your background, how you became interested in the RFK Sirhan Sirhan subject and led you to put together this amazing document, the Sirhan Sirhan timeline. Yeah, so um, I started by researching the JFK assassination years ago and reading and reading. And then I eventually saw that JFK and RFK were kind of part of one of the same phenomenon uh, that needed to be eliminated. And um, because their policies were so similar to one another, and I started seeing that a Bobby Kennedy um, administration had to be prevented. And then really when I read Lisa Peace's book, I saw that there was no way that Sirhan could have killed Bobby Kennedy. It was just impossible. And then um, I started the timeline because I wanted to know what was Sirhan doing, uh, this man who was convicted and is still in prison for this murder. What was he doing? Where was he? Who was he with? And what happened to him psychologically that led to him being at the Ambassador Hotel that night in 1968? Um, so yeah, I, I've been posting, I posted this document on my Twitter uh, I my other the other things I post about or do research about are just 9 11, uh, the JFK assassination, um, some of the other events, Jonestown, um, other things of that nature. I've I've had some pretty long threads on that, but but this is the first real document of this kind that I've that I've posted. Yeah, and it's very well researched. It goes 50 pages. But uh, different angles, too, like you really go into his background in detail and mm -hmm. his interest in Rosicrucianism and where he worked. Maybe you can just like for people who may not be 
as familiar with the story. Who who was Sirhan Sirhan, and what is his background? Well, he is from a Jordanian family that was living in Jerusalem, and that was where he was born. Uh, he's a they were a Christian Jordanian family, and he was born there in 1944. And anyone who's familiar with the history of Israel and the Nakba and the Arab-Israeli War. In 1947, basically, he and his family are removed violently from their homes, and they're in a war zone until 1956 when they emigrate to America. And I would argue in this timeline that we cannot understand Sirhan until we understand the trauma that he experienced as a child growing up in Jerusalem. And we can't uh, understand him psychologically or politically until we understand these formative experiences and they're truly grotesque and gruesome um this these these violent experiences that he has and the, the things that he witnesses so it really explains a lot and so um yeah that's kind of his origins yeah right so he's from he's he's in jerusalem he, he flees the country or whatever expelled there's yeah. violence there wells are poisoned body parts people dying so at a very early age, he's exposed to a lot of kind of a harsh environment. He gets out, makes it to the States as a refugee. His family does. And they all settle somewhere in the lot, greater Los Angeles area, right? Pasadena. Yeah. So um, around 1956, they are they come to America and they end up in Pasadena. His father stays in New York for some years and finally goes back to Israel in 1966 and so um, he's, he's really living with his two brothers, Adele and Munir, and his sister, Aida, and uh, his mother in, in Pasadena. So his father's not part of the picture. And that's where he lives until 1968. And he's not, uh, he's kind of a slight smaller figure, right? Like he's not mm -hmm. a, a big person. So he tries to find jobs in that, and that kind of what led him to horses and working around horses yeah i mean he goes to uh, junior high school and high school in pasadena um, one interesting thing is in high school he was part of this uh, california cadet corps program like a three-year military science course so it, that involved range practice kind of basic training uh, i i would say that's maybe where he gets his interest in guns um and or but you know we we don't know and then he ends up at pasadena city college or pcc and he, he really does terribly i mean he's getting d's and f's and c's um and yeah he just has odd jobs around pasadena he's working as a gardener at a gas station he can't really keep a job for very long um yeah, he worked for Von Karman, which is really something else. So it's a tie-in to the oh. whole JPL thing, right? Oh, yeah. You know, I didn't yeah. look that deeply into that, and that's kind of why I'm looking for crowdsourcing. Like, if anyone recognizes these names and has more, you know, a deeper dive into who these people are. Yeah, he was a gardener for that guy, Theodore Von Karman. Yeah, so Von Karman was like with JPL. I, was, I think they even got or something about him like they got some kind of carmen name after is named after that guy but yeah he was that that's i mean that's there pasadena is jpl right so it's right there yeah right right right, right there um and caltech is right next to pasadena city college as well yep. um so 
Yeah, he works at a couple of gas stations. He's taking a couple classes. He just gets D's and C's on everything. And um, and then his sister dies in March of 1965 of leukemia. At this point, uh, you know, I'm trying to figure out where he was. And at this point, his mother says he was away from the home for quite some time after her death. So... Uh, she believes he was living with a group of boys and girls somewhere in Pasadena. We don't know. Uh, so anything could have happened to him. He could have been with any kind of people. And uh, yeah, 65 was not a very eventful year for him until in October of that year, he gets a job working at the Santa Anita racetrack in Arcadia. Right. So that area would be kind of east from downtown L.A., and yeah. a lot of people may not realize it, but so certain parts around the Corona, Norco are literal horse country. There's a lot of horses, just like people on horseback and yeah. things like that. So he was in that environment. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's really the middle, like the summer of 66 when uh, he, so October of 65, he, he clearly begins his kind of, um, his begin whatever if you want to call it a career or his interest uh, his jobs working in the horse racing industry um and then you know he, he's never really very good at working with animals anyone who has worked with him or hired him pretty much says he was he lost his temper a lot people didn't like him he got into arguments about israel and talked uh, angrily about jews um but nevertheless he's kind of serious about trying to make it as a, probably a jockey at some point. Um, so he gets his hot walkers license and he doesn't last very long at the Santa Anita racetrack by March of, or yeah, by March of 66, he quits. And then, yeah, like you said, in the middle of 66, May, he gets a job, uh, May or June, he gets a job at this ranch in Norco. And anyone who doesn't know, Southern California, it's kind of in the Inland Empire, about an hour away from uh, Pasadena. And um, it was right next door to Desi Arnaz's ranch. He had a well-known ranch where I think he just trained racehorses. And, but uh, Sirhan worked right next to it for a guy named Bert Altfilish. And um, yeah, Norco to this day, like you said, is a horse town. You go down there and there are hitching stations out in front of every store there's the, the all the sidewalks are dirt sidewalks and so you can ride your horse everywhere and they're just horse ranches all over the place yeah it's a cool it's a cool little city and corona's mm. kind of like that too but uh and he also develops around that time two years before the assassination an interest in occultism i mean it really is mm -hmm. the truth like he became interested in the ancient mystical order of the rosa crucius and mm -hmm. occult books can you talk about that yeah, so that's a, a kind of a rabbit hole I went into uh, in this timeline because I started looking at it and it was just the, the fishiest situation because it's really all about kind of, the, their teachings are all about kind of uh, self-development, self-improvement, uh, mastery over yourself, mastery over others by using ancient occult knowledge, you know? So what I've noticed is just that his he doesn't really what it is is it's a correspondence course so he wasn't heavily involved socially in this group they had just started a correspondence course i guess where you send away for materials you send in your payment and they send you 
materials that you work on and then you send it back and uh, someone from their main headquarters in San Jose, I guess, is supposed to work closely with you and kind of um, uh, monitor your progress and correspond with you. Uh, but he goes to a meeting at the end of May in 66 in their lodge in Pasadena where his name is signed in in the guest register. And then as far as I can tell, so this is the beginning of what I would call his transformation where he starts this downward spiral. And then I would say there's a bookend where about a week before the assassination, he goes to another meeting um, at another Rosicrucius meeting uh, in Pasadena. And both times they do these similar kind of things on him where he's blindfolded and told to identify objects just by touching them. And so uh, the whole thing is so mysterious. Um, and also I did find, if anyone's interested, there's an author named Pierre Freeman. He was in a, the Rosicrucian Society for like 24 years. He wrote a couple of exposés, a couple of books on their whole system. And he says, it's just a cult, hands down. It's uh, a really fraudulent, dangerous cult that, you know, brainwashes its members. And so I, I really was fascinated by that. Um, the, the only issue for me is that he wasn't really just being a correspondence course, I don't see how that could be responsible. If, you know, if he was programmed, I don't see how that could be the one source of his programming. But we do see that up until the assassination, he is pretty much involved in this occult, uh, these occult teachings. And he's definitely a very, uh, very intent on developing whatever skills he thinks he can. Right. I mean, and he writes it in his notes. He's talking. He, there's a word Illuminati. So there's mm -hmm. some kind of thing. But also these occults, they kind of overlap with a lot of this. But it, they he believed in uh, mind control. So it really yeah. more gets interesting. So he's in this environment where they're supposedly teaching him. But what if he's supposedly being taught? But what if the opposite takes place is the guy who's teaching him is actually trying to put him together or is at least thinking about that? And yeah, we don't know those connections. Maybe somebody else does or secretly does. But the fact that the a Mork is talking about getting something, somebody to, to do something for you without them knowing is really remarkable because that's like the whole idea of the MK Ultra hypnotism, which is also taking place around the time leading up to the, the murders right in the 60s. Yeah. So what he's supposed to be learning how to do ends up happening to him. Right. I mean, that's just like the real irony here. Yeah. And I would say, okay, at this time, middle of the summer of 66, he gets into the Amorc and then he starts his automatic writing in his infamous notebook. Mm -hmm. And it's shortly after this that he has this catastrophic accident while he's riding a horse at Bert Altfilich's ranch. So all of these things happen right away. Um, he his earliest writings um, in this notebook, which he really won't remember very much at all uh, during the trial. Uh, they, they refer to people he, he meets in the summer of 66 uh, when he starts this job at Bert Altfilish's ranch. So this was right after he, like days after he first joined the Rosicrucian Society, um, that he starts this job and starts this notebook. And I, I have to imagine that he was learning these techniques and say and thinking oh i'm going to start writing down things but it, we can't account for the fact that he doesn't remember it 
Right. right. Yeah. And if you're watching on YouTube, this is like a recent thing from his most recent um, attempt to get out of jail. He doesn't remember killing RFK. So he has memory problems that are starting to mm -hmm. show around 66 and 68 that didn't seem to be as prevalent before this so-called horse accident, which we know something happened, but there's yeah. arguments that like you, like you said, Brown, I think was the doctor who said that that yeah. all could have been set up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Dr. Daniel Brown, he was a Harvard psychologist who was hired by Sirhan's defense team in about 2008. Um, and he spent three years talking to Sirhan, uh, analyzing him, uh, discussing his mental state. And what I need to stress is that uh, Brown definitively said Sirhan does not have either dissociative identity disorder or paranoid schizophrenia. He's not someone who uh, is, you know, if anyone's read uh, Wendy Painting's Aberration in the Heartland of the Real, I keep thinking about that because she shows Timothy McVeigh as very clearly demonstrating dissociative issues, dissociative identity disorder, where he is kind of creating multiple uh, narratives about his life that contradict each other and telling different people these different narratives at different times. Uh, Sirhan never does that. And Dr. Daniel Brown says he obviously no one can hypnotize themselves and then forget about doing it. So this is part of his psychological, the, the, the thing we have to understand about Sirhan. He just doesn't remember these events, um, you know, falling from the horse in, I think, September of that year. He doesn't remember it. Writing all of that stuff in his notebook, he doesn't remember it. Shooting at RFK or how he got into the, the pantry, he doesn't remember. But he remembers many other parts of his life quite well. So, Right. Yeah, it's very strange. Yeah. And then the two-week two disappearance of him in hospitals. Mm -hmm. And he's constantly going into hospitals. Like, it's oh, very yeah. suspicious, right? Yeah. So he falls off this horse and he pretty he enters his left eye. He doesn't have any uh, what do you call it neur neurological damage. All the doctors report say no neurological damage. Months after the injury, it's stitched up and everything. It's the injury is like getting worse somehow, and he keeps going to doctors for over a year, like maybe fifteen or sixteen months after this fall. And there are doctors in Corona, Norco area, and then there's doctors in Pasadena. I mean, uh, it was not a very serious injury. And so it's very fishy. What was he doing with all those doctors? Um, I, I tried so hard to link any of them back to any of these CIA, like the MK Search or MK Ultra or any CIA sponsored programs, but for the life of me. I, I can't, you know, but um, it, it's really weird how many times he went to the doctor for over a year after this accident. Right. He's just constantly going going into the care or whatever. Like, and, and it's not really clear. Like, his family doesn't seem to know, too. There's, like, just mm -hmm. odd things. Like, I, if I have family members in the hospital, I know mm -hmm. that they're there and when they got out and what happened. You know, I just... Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's, it's suspicious. Yeah. So Daniel Brown, Dr. Brown said that Sirhan had, was missing for two weeks and he was in and in hospitals for this kind in this kind of haze. And um, but then we see some people at the ranch, Bert Altfilish's ranch, who say, oh, yeah, we saw him here the next day. 
and then some people that say, oh, he came back to work six days later. And so we can't be, can't quite be sure of what did happen. Um, and then after that, he falls on at least three more occasions off of horses at other ranches. So his, yeah, his, his physical coordination is awful. Like he goes to work at Del Mar racetrack in I think December of that year, he falls off a horse. And then the next year he goes to work at uh, Santa Anita again, he falls off a horse. And all of his friends and family say he was not the same after this fall. He was depressed. He gave up on his dreams of being a jockey. He said um, he, and he became obsessed with this kind of $2,000 workers comp payout that he thought he was going to get. And right. Which he did eventually get a payout. Right? He got paid off. Yeah. Yeah. About a year later. And then um, I'm, I'm just wondering, I think the theory has been floated that he was, that was somehow um, told to him as some reason to do the fall in the first place. Like the theory that he was programmed to fall from that horse because he would get this big financial payout. Um, but yeah. It's right. And 66 is when he starts getting an interest in guns and starts going to the range too. So there's no, there's like a, some kind of personality change where he's becoming and he's seen shooting his his weapon well i forgot the name of the weapon or what kind of gun it was. oh yeah um i forget the name of the the pistol um but yeah the, the it's this 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 profound transformation that happens to him um another weird kind of almost a poignant uh, element to this his experience in norco is that he lived with this guy edward van antwerp who was his roommate he met him at a cafe and they became roommates and he was uh Edward Van Antwerp was an alcoholic and Sirhan would take care of him a lot. He took him to AA meetings. Um, and the weirdest thing is the day of the assassination, uh, Van Antwerp hadn't lived with Sirhan for at least a year and a half or something. But on the day of the assassination, Antwerp disappeared and showed up a couple months later in Northern California. He didn't even tell his own wife where he was going. Uh, but Sirhan seems to have had this friendship with Antwerp and one thing that I should just mention is because I live in Southern California and I drove out to Norco. I've driven out there a couple of times. And I looked at the location where he lived, where Sirhan and Antwerp lived, and it's right, right over the hill. I mean, I'm talking a five minute walk from a naval base. And this is called Naval Sea Systems Command. And at that time in the 60s, it was attached to a place called the California Rehabilitation Center. That place is still there. It's just a prison now. But in the 60s, the California Rehabilitation Center was a drug and alcohol rehabilitation center. So uh, this was right, right over the hill from where Sirhan lived with Antwerp. So, um, yeah, just very strange. Very, just very strange, odd things about, about Sirhan. And one of the things I learned that I didn't know and don't recall from the other books I read is the stalking of uh kennedy right he's mm -hmm. going he's driving weird places to and it's seen that stops at kennedy who you know california is very important right he's he's seen in different mm -hmm. spots yeah so uh this is so yeah once kennedy announces his candidacy i believe march of 68 uh sirhan has bought his revolver so january of 1968 for some reason sirhan becomes obsessed with buying a gun and then he gets this 22 revolver. Um, it's a, a pistol. 
that uh, his his brother's co-worker sells to him. We don't know why he buys this. He doesn't really have any adequate explanation. And then so uh, Kennedy announces his candidacy in um, March 16th. Yeah, that's the, the date. And so then um, at that point, Sirhan gradually becomes obsessed with Kennedy. And when Kennedy is campaigning in California, uh, Sirhan starts being seen at Kennedy campaign events, um, in addition to the fact that he's being seen at shooting ranges. And so multiple people see Sirhan shooting at different shooting ranges um, in San Gabriel or Corona. Uh, several people see him with other individuals, a man and a woman. Um, he's seen at a, a gun store, a gun shop called Lock, Stock and Barrel at Pasadena with other people, with two men who look Arabic and they, the, the owners of the store don't identify his two brothers as those men. Um, so who were those men? He's seen at a restaurant where Kennedy was giving a speech with a woman. Um, he's seen, where else? Oh, at Kennedy headquarters um, with this guy, Kaibar Khan, um, and another, at least one more Arabic guy. Um, Kaibar Khan was a, a flashy Iranian businessman who was working, was volunteering for Kennedy's uh, re, uh, Kennedy's campaign. And this guy, Kaibar Khan, was hated by the Johnson administration because he had sued the Shah of Iran. And he was really, he hated the Shah of Iran. He hated uh, Johnson's cozy um, relationship with the Shah. And so um, he, some people saw Sirhan with Kaibar Khan and at least one other Arabic man. Kaibar Khan says, no, I saw Sirhan at Kennedy headquarters with someone else. I don't know him. Uh, Khan is an interesting character because he was getting a lot of local Arabic people to that he knew somehow from the L.A. region to volunteer for the Kennedy campaign. So, um, yeah, he, and so he's seen with multiple people seeming to stalk Kennedy. And, right. yeah, and... Then it comes down to the, the whole issue of like what made him want right. What's his motivation, right? Yeah, yeah. And that that the I guess the press went with his anti-Israel views is why he did it. But yeah, uh, he didn't seem to have like a real animus until a certain point, right? Or recorded animus against Kennedy, right? Yeah, this is the problem. So he. The, the whole the prosecution kept saying, okay, Sirhan was enraged by the fact that Bobby Kennedy made a campaign promise that he was going to go ahead and uh, with this this plan that Johnson already had to sell, to sell Israel these 50 phantom jets. And this is after the six day war of 1967. So we have to remember this war enrages Sirhan. It devastates him. He's watching his childhood play out again. So he's full of rage. And this was Johnson's plan to sell these, these phantom jets to Israel. Bobby Kennedy just made a promise that he would uphold that. But we don't find any evidence that Sirhan ever was angered by that before the assassination. I didn't find any time where any, he mentioned that to anyone. He talks to his, his trash collector on 
uh, I think April, April of that year of 68. And he says, oh, I'm going to kill Kennedy or I'm going to kill the SOB. So his trash collector remembers having this conversation. But this is before this TV show was aired where apparently Sirhan was supposed to have seen a biography of Bobby Kennedy where Bobby Kennedy mentioned selling those phantom jets. But then um, there's not evidence that there's we're not sure if he that that tv show even mentioned that i i couldn't find a copy of whatever that was uh, but so so basically the bottom line what i'm getting at is we don't have any connection between um, the kennedy selling promising to sell those jets to israel and sirhan deciding that he hates kennedy so it's not, the link isn't there the causal link isn't there i guess and even even the the lead up i think he was shot june 4th 1968 the lead up of of uh sirhan sirhan is very strange like the people he's missing for pieces of time people are around mm -hmm. him even at the ambassador which is now torn down in his uh high school yeah. but um there's people surrounding him there's the infamous woman with the polka dot dress right Oh yeah, there's so many people see her that night, and um, I think even talking to Daniel Brown over those three years, he remembers uh, remembers her kind of flirting with him, and you know that's territory that Lisa Peace really gets deeply into in her book, and so for me, that's kind of the background to um, why it matters what Sirhan was doing for these couple of years and what why. It matters what happened to him psych psychologically because that night, just the the forensics details don't add up. Lisa, I think, says he wasn't even firing any bullets. He, he was firing blanks. And, wow. you know, clearly he was shot from behind. And I think the major theory is Thane Eugene Caesar was the one who, who did the shooting. Um, but, yeah, the, the whole night is going to be just a complete mystery to Sirhan himself. Uh, and what I want to get at is that we don't have any evidence of Sirhan consciously choosing to shoot Kennedy, okay? And, or, or even coming to any conscious decision that he hates Kennedy. And that's, that, that is, to me, what suggests someone behind the scenes manipulating him. Because he's not, he's not dissociative. He doesn't have paranoid schizophrenia, and so he's and he and he also doesn't consciously choose to kill Kennedy, and the, the idea that he hates them is very tenuous because we know from his childhood he hated Zionism and any any anything connected to Israel's aggression. Kennedy was so tenuously connected to that even in in Sirhan's conscious mind that we don't see at what point he wanted or why he would want to kill Kennedy. And he's met, he's writing it over and over in his notebook. Robert F. Kennedy must be assassinated. And he says to on trial on, on the, in his trial transcripts, he says, I, I don't know, sir. I don't know why I wrote that. I, I must've, he, he remembers like emotions, you know, that's, that's key. He remembers emotions. Like it lit me up. It burned me up, sir. But he doesn't remember ever making a choice. Like, oh, that's when I decided to kill Kennedy. He never says that. Right. So it's just, he is a really, a, it's just a strange yeah. guy. And like on the scale of hypnosis, hypnosis 
people, he is highly hypnotizable, right? Like, yeah, I, I think there's some kind of scale that they figured out early, even before World War II, about mm -hmm. whether you can be hypnotized or not. And I think there's actually, I was reading through, like you mentioned, this guy, um, Spiegel, actually has a test. Like, you can do a one minute test on a person to oh. see how hypnotizable. Have you ever seen that? Oh, no, I haven't. But yeah, no, maybe I can find it. But there's a test within hypnosis where if this person looks up and down and like follows, like there's a hole in their head that's like a one minute test to see. So, so Sirhan was that like he could go into yeah. another state super fast, right? Yeah. And I did some research in this timeline of just the history of hypnosis and kind of the academic um, theories about hypnosis. And there's really two theories is the state and the non state theory that have emerged from the scholarship. And one is that you go into an altered state where you are dissociated. And the other is kind of that you don't go into an altered state, but you are still under hypnosis. Um, either one of those, you know, those are the academics go back and forth on that. And either one of those can account for Sirhan. Um, no, whatever your theory on hypnosis is, Sirhan's actions can be accounted for in terms of being hypnotized. Uh, yeah, he's very suggestible. Um, and like, I just have to reiterate, he's not hypnotizing himself and then forgetting that he did it, you know, so right, right. there's something else that that happened to him. Have and, you did you come across? I didn't see it in the timeline. Have you ever heard the story of Radio Man? He was into like uh, radio communications, right? Uh, oh, so, Sir, Sir Han? Yeah, uh, I did not. I that's okay. I've, I've heard the story about him tinkering around with the two wave radios and that somebody might have been tinkering oh. with him through a radio which is hard to believe giving him oh. suggestions and that that's uh interesting I'll, I'll i'll send you my links on that yeah 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 possibility yeah that's another that, and one one of the oh, sorry go ahead oh no yeah that's what i'm looking for is like where where and who like who accessed him and how and right. um yeah i might have something like that because i have some recollections of his brother because you know Sirhan lived at home since for the, a year and a half before the assassination so his brother was living there in and out of the house and mentions Sirhan was in his room a lot doing these Rosicrucian weird kind of Rosicrucian rituals he might have mentioned a radio of some kind it, it might be somewhere in my time I'll have to go back and look at that it'll be yeah. an, an addition to you to this excellent timeline um yeah. but also th there were CIA I mean there were uh, MK Ultra doctors all over LA at that time. William Jennings, Brian Jr., West oh, yeah. is around somewhere, you know. So those are accessible, and I think there's West had some connection when he was at UCLA to some uh, hospital out there in the um, oh, yeah. San Bernardino area. I got to look that up. Yeah, Jolly West. I definitely was interested in him. I think he ends up at uh, UCLA a couple years after the the assassination. But oh, yeah, no. that's another thing that I wanted. I wanted to kind of crowdsource this because there are other people out there who probably know more about who those doctors were around LA and or what studies were being done at like UCLA or um, was a, there was a lot and that's just something I would love to add to the timeline it would just be one of these digressions where I could go through and look at who were the CIA affiliated um, academics in the psycholo psychology departments um, and I know UCLA had a, a department that was very heavily affiliated with the CIA. 
I think it was uh, uh, William Turner and John Christian hypothesized in the American assassination of Robert F. Kennedy that Brian was responsible for inducing Sirhan Sirhan to fire blanks at Robert F. Kennedy. Okay. Post-hypnotic suggestion. So they allege that it was him. And this and guy yet, was kind of a, a nasty character. He would hypnotize women ooh. and do, uh, yeah, involved in artichoke and MMK Ultra. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I do go into a lot of the sub projects of MK Ultra in the timeline just to show what it was, what they were capable of, what they were studying, uh, and what some of these studies were were attempting to do because we see that it was totally under the umbrella of the MK programs, uh, whatever it, you know, the idea of programming Sirhan was something they had been studying since the early fifties. Um, and I think Lisa Peace says that it was Robert Mayhew. That's her, that's her kind of hypothesis that he was in charge of the Sirhan op, um, and I, I don't know a ton about him. I would have to reread her book. Yeah, I'd have to go. I want to go back with the information that you've compiled in this angle. Go back and look at Tate and Peace's book uh, just, to, just to get more information out of it. Uh, John asked, is there a recording of Jolly West interviewing Sirhan Sirhan under hypnosis? If so, uh, do they know if he was also drugged for that interview? Do you know anything about that? Uh, no, I haven't heard anything. I would love to connect the two of them in some way if there was any possibility. I think uh, West was, where was he in Nebraska, University of Nebraska at this time? Or I think he was Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Was, I, feel like, I, I have to go back and look at his timeline too, but I think he was in Norman, Oklahoma. Yeah, I would have killed to get him anywhere near Sirhan in those couple of years, but he was, yeah, he was at the University of Oklahoma at this time. Um, so... Yeah, that's my. And the, the other, the other tie-in of mind control into this whole thing, which you could probably expand upon if you wanted to, is the Frankenheimer connection to Kennedy and who John Frankenheimer was. Oh. So can you talk about that, or are you aware of that? You know, I, I, I remember writing that here. Uh, he was Kennedy was with John Frankenheimer. I think the night of the. Yeah, Frankenheimer drove him to. The ambassador, okay. but Frankenheimer was the director of the Manchurian Candidate. Like you can't yeah. even write that. There's that whole yeah. There's there's that whole thing which I didn't get too much into. Bobby Kennedy or his um, his campaign and you know the people he was around. Um, although uh, although in the future I could, um, but that is crazy. It's yeah, totally crazy. So uh, Frankenheimer, and then it was Richard Condon. I think wrote that actually. Just uh, on my other show, the Dehypno program, I did, I did a reading about Condon because he wrote the intro to the Search for the Manchurian Candidate. Uh, so like, he wrote a book about it and then was like writing about it. And then Frankenheimer shows up. I mean, it's incredible. It's Dude. too it's too crazy. And wasn't he also? I don't. I, don't, I didn't put this anywhere, but wasn't he? All, wasn't Kennedy also hanging out with uh, Roman Polanski and? Um, uh, Jessica or uh, Tate, um, I think. Tate? Uh, yeah, I, I wouldn't think, be surprised. I yeah, I think surprised. like the day before he had maybe wow. had dinner with them. Um, wow, that's crazy. Yeah, that's something I, I would have to look up, but I, I, I swear, I because they were doomed for the next year, right? I mean, the 60s was yeah. so crazy, dude. It was, when you look it, at all this just, just man manic, 
murder yeah. and everything. Oh my gosh. There's also so he's also Sirhan is hanging out with groups of Arabs uh, who are pretty uh, politically active. Um, probably people he met at Pasadena City College, and these are like very um, pro, uh, like pan Arabic, uh, Arab nationalist, uh, anti Zionist people. So uh, we see that he has a big group of acquaintances, and, and especially very closely tied in with the Arab community around Los Angeles. And, you know, these people are being monitored after the Six Day War by the FBI. Um, another guy named Walter Crow is Sirhan's friend from junior high school. Walter Crow is basically a radical communist, and uh, he was friends with an FBI informant named William DeVale. And DeVale wrote a memoir in 1970 where he talks about how Sirhan made revolutionary comments to Walter Crow uh, about waging war against the establishment. And so uh, Crow was being monitored by the FBI. Uh, and, you know, there's this whole group of kind of anti-Zionist, pro-Arabic, uh, pro-Arabic nationalist people, communist party people in all of the schools around Los Angeles that were being monitored by the FBI. And uh, Walter Crowe even felt guilty in, in, that he said that maybe I helped make Sirhan angry enough at the establishment that that's why he wanted to go kill Kennedy, because we had these conversations where we were both talking about revolutionary ideas, like, yeah, let's rise up against the establishment, man, and stuff like that. So there's the whole Walter Crow um, angle. Angle, yeah. Yeah, there's just a lot of different angles there. We, do you know who his best friend, Sirhan Sirhan's best friend in jail was? It was Dan White, the guy who did the uh, no way. Moscone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Is that crazy? The like they're friends. Of, yeah, the Twinkie Defender. <laughs> but he's and he might have. I always tar, I don't know if he was like a mind. I don't know if there's mind control behind that guy, but he reminds me of he the acts like somebody who had like brain, like CTE or whatever they call it, you know. Oh, that's a whole a separate yeah. assassination to get into, yeah. yeah. And the whole the, the politics of San Francisco and whatever happened to Dan White and the Twinkie defense. Yeah, that's crazy. funny that he was friends with Sir Han, yeah. They were the best buddies in, in, in oh, jail, wherever they, they were. Well, I'm sure they on some level could relate to each other, I mean, probably. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's a whole nother. I mean, there's a lot of weird tie ins with all these guys, but uh. I, yeah. I think looking over my research, Sirhan Sirhan was a patsy, and uh, yeah. uh, Kennedy had to go, just like you said. Like they couldn't allow him into into any power. Like once once it became clear that he was the front runner, and Johnson dropped out, you know, it's like, yeah. And Bobby Kennedy Jr. has made it pretty clear that uh, he it was really expected that his father was going to win. So. At that point, I mean, I can see how he had to be gotten rid of. And it just just in terms of the direction of the Vietnam War and what Kennedy would have done, a, a second Kennedy administration, it would have been a repeat, probably policy wise of, of JFK. Yeah. And they couldn't have that. Yeah, they couldn't allow they couldn't have that. They couldn't have any investigations of JFK either. Like the brothers tied to his brother, right? So th that's another thing. It's like and there are similarities between Sirhan Sirhan and Oswald. It's almost like they were prepped and then mm -hmm. turned to the task. So like Oswald's whole background is like a legend about like he's been in Russia. They don't know anything. I mean, they and then at a certain point somebody in the higher up say, Okay, Oswald's gonna be our patsy. Let's start 
grooming him for this role, you know. Project, yeah. What was it? Uh, free Cuba committee stuff and yeah. getting him in the right place at the right time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could see that they were being manipulated before they their final purpose was decided. Um, right. You know, Oswald, or Sirhan, if if whatever happened to him happened two years to, for to me, it happened two years before uh, before the assassin. There was any need for him, you know. Right. So like they. Somebody was playing, like making him a Manchurian candidate for whatever, and then somebody said, "Okay, you got the guy in the right spot, and uh, you know, you got the right people in place, and we can just front load this and let's get him right there over there at the master where he was." Yeah, and I think he was sent out to kind of um, go to various events um, during the campaign trail. That was probably just they're just seeing if he is workable if he's if he's usable if he can he accept direction or whatever and can he be sent to this location and go where he's told um and they probably sense that oh my god this guy will do whatever we tell him to and he he doesn't really know what he's doing he doesn't remember it i mean it's probably a remarkable find because how many people are there like that um right like so somebody had him had him figured out and and understood his purpose, his use, his usefulness, right? Yeah, and what, the, why I go back so f early into his childhood is because I maintain that whoever did this to him knew specifically his hatred of Zionism and managed to tweak it or kind of replace, uh, replace Kennedy, uh, put him in the spot where, you know, Sirhan had this rage built up towards Zionism and someone very skillfully uh, kind of converted that to Kennedy. Uh, or swapped Kennedy out, or swapped it out, right. and replaced Kennedy, and 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 Sirhan still doesn't know how that happened. He, you know, it's crazy. It is crazy, and I think that there was some kind of connection between the racetrack and there was some other guy there that was a mind control killer. I forgot his name, but there's some kind of mm. weird connection. It's either Arthur Bremer or one of these other. Guys had some connection to Sirhan Sirhan. I got to find that for you. But I one of the, the yeah. yeah, I would love to put that in there. Yeah, there's some kind of interesting things like that. But uh, it's a great, it's really a, a brilliant uh, piece. I really am glad that you read it. Where can people Thank find you. it? Oh yeah, you can go to my Twitter page. I'm under Jim Garrison Keeler. Um, at, at it's it, at at books underscore rum. And it's just right there in my profile. And it's you can just click on the it's a Dropbox, and you can check it out. And I hope people enjoy and and have something to, that they can add if, if, there's, if there's anything. Yeah, and if they have any critiques or additions, where can they send it to you? Just through uh, Twitter is probably the best place. Yeah, you can just tweet at me or DM me or yeah. If I've gotten anything wrong, by all means, I would love to correct it. So. Um, and and then also you said you did some other threads too, nine eleven and. Uh, yeah, some of those the others. Yeah, similar events. Um, I go into the Las Vegas massacre. Um, yeah, nine eleven. Some Jonestown stuff. That's all pinned at my Twitter account. Yeah. We are, you have to come back. I gotta find somebody to talk about what really happened in Vegas. That'll be oh, another yeah. conversation. I mean, it was something weird, like where they they were trying to kill MBS, right? Um, I don't know. Yeah, take? there's that oh, okay. there's that whole thing. He was he was there apparently. Um, but yeah, I I, I went pretty far down the rabbit hole with that one that's also still a mystery to me but yeah i, I can't be paddock right because some people were shot from like a different angle so there were other angles like at a 
in a flat plane to the to the uh, what is mm -hmm. it, the cowboy uh, music festival or whatever. But mm -hmm. there, there's a lot of mysteries there. There's Helicopters, a lot of weird stuff. Yeah, and for but, anyone uh, who's um, a, you know a, what's his name McGowan fan, program to kill. You know, Paddock just fits into this pattern i would say and but there's a lot to look at with his life and with the event itself so interesting well yeah. people can check that out on twitter but yeah. thanks so much for your time and thanks for sharing this document again it's jim garrison keeler i'll put a link to his twitter and it's the surhan surhan timeline so thanks so much for your time thanks a lot this was fun cool. yeah great to talk with you stay there stay there okay